0: Welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. In this recording, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 50. And as far as the context goes, we need to remember that that what we're seeing in Matthew 11 and 12 flows out of the instructions Jesus gave in that last teaching block in chapter 10. So flowing out of that, Matthew has been painting a picture of mixed reactions and growing hostility to Jesus. Recall that in chapter 10, in that teaching block, uh, it focused on sending out the 12, giving instructions for ministry and mission, and even ministry and mission, not just right now in Galilee, but later for them. And then it broadened out to all disciples, and it warned them and all disciples, including us, that if people hated Jesus, then people will hate his disciples and his emissaries and his messengers. And so you have to be ready to endure that kind of hostility. And then, throughout chapters 11 and 12, Matthew compiles snapshots from Jesus' ministry to show all these various responses to him, particularly to show the growing opposition by some of the Pharisees. In the story immediately before the one we're going to look at in this session, Jesus had delivered a blind and mute man who was demon-possessed. Jesus had delivered him from a demon, and the Pharisees accused Jesus of doing that by the power of Satan. Well, here in this story, picking up in Matthew twelve thirty-eight, some Pharisees come to Jesus and then they demand a sign that would validate him and his ministry. Look how the story begins here in Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now just pause and think about that for a second. Jesus has cast out demons and they've said he's in league with the devil. He's healed a man with a withered hand, but they said it violated the Sabbath. Matthew's told us that Jesus had many people follow him, and he healed them all. And that's just the immediate context of the last few paragraphs, yet alone the entire Gospel of Matthew. And so what that shows us is there's really a true-to-life irony in this demand for a sign. Jesus has done tons of signs, and yet it'll never actually be enough. Why? Because they don't want to believe. doesn't matter how many signs he does, doesn't matter how many miracles he performs, doesn't matter how many miracles they see, it will never be enough because they don't want to believe. So here's how Jesus responds to their demand for a sign. He says this in verse 39. He says, "But he answered and said to them, "An evil and adulterous generation craves a sign." And so no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. When he says an evil and adulterous generation craves a sign, literally it seeks. They're seeking after a sign. And such seeking, the way it's worded, an evil and adulterous generation. That's the kind of generation that seeks after signs. So such seeking is actually an expression of their obstinacy of heart. If their heart wasn't so hard, they wouldn't need more signs. If their heart wasn't so hard, they wouldn't have to be seeking signs. And so it's that kind of generation, one that's evil and adulterous, it's that kind of generation that seeks signs. And when he says that they're an evil and adulterous generation, it kind of echoes some of the stories from the Old Testament. They're like the wilderness generation during the Exodus who refused to believe and trust God even though they saw his signs in the wilderness. I think of like Deuteronomy 32. Or they're like the generation of Hosea, the prophet. Like that generation was adulterous and unfaithful to God. And so Jesus rejects their demand for a sign. No sign will be given to them. But then he kind of teases them with a bit of a riddle about the sign of Jonah. No sign will be given to them except the sign of Jonah. And then he goes on in verse 42 explain what he means a little bit by this sign of Jonah. He says, For just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself, be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And it's a bit of a riddle. The point we know because we know the end of the story, but I don't know that they get the point. And the point seems to be this that Jesus is preaching and he's warning them of judgment. But that generation, they're rejecting him and they're rejecting his teachings. They're rejecting his warnings. That rejection is actually going to culminate in them crucifying him. And yet he's only going to be dead for three days and three nights because he's going to be resurrected and vindicated. And all of that will serve as a sign to them of God's righteous or just judgment on that generation. Now. That seems to be the point that Jesus is making. It's just that there's no indication at this point that they get what he means. We know because we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus is going to be crucified and raised to life after three days. And that's the ultimate sign he'll give. The ultimate sign is his resurrection. And that sign will be proof that God's judgment is just on that generation who rejected him. Jesus continues taking this sign of Jonah theme and amplifies it a bit in verse 41. He says, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So if you recall the story of Jonah, Jonah is supposed to go to Nineveh and preach the warning that God is going to destroy the city he flees the opposite way. He gets thrown overboard. He uh, is swallowed up by a giant fish uh, above called a sea monster. He's in that fish for three days. And after that, he finally comes to Nineveh and he preaches the warning about God's judgment to them. And they call to repentance. And the people of Nineveh, no matter how wicked they were, The people of Nineveh actually listened, and they repented, and they were a bunch of heathen Gentiles. And so here's Jesus bringing a message and a kingdom that's greater than anything Jonah could conceive of. And people like these scribes and Pharisees in this story, they refused to listen and repent. Jesus then actually brings up another example from the Old Testament to, to make the same point and to drive that point home. So in verse 42, he says the queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This is a story that you can read in first Kings chapter 10. And once again, Here comes a Gentile queen, the queen of the south. She's a Gentile, not a Jew. She traveled all this way, come a long distance, just to listen to Solomon and hear his wisdom. And these Jewish leaders that Jesus is preaching to and talking with, they refuse to listen to Jesus, and he's something greater than, he's a king greater than Solomon. He's bringing in a kingdom greater than Solomon's kingdom, and they refuse to listen. And so what we see is that Jesus is holding his generation accountable for rejecting his teaching and preaching. The queen of the south came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. The Ninevites listened to the preaching of Jonah. But these people, Jesus' generation, they're rejecting the word of God and the kingdom of God in and through Jesus himself. Now from there, uh, what Jesus does is he offers an analogy. It's a little bit weird and a little bit confusing, but we need to remember what it is. It's just an analogy. Jesus compares his generation, the generation of his day and their rejection of Jesus. He compares that uh, to a demon-possessed person. Here's what he says, verse 43. Now, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and it doesn't find it. This sounds really odd to us, but in Jewish writings of the time, demons were often associated with waterless places, with the desert. And that was like their haunts. They were out there in the desert and they were looking for a host. They were looking for a home. And so Jesus is just picking up with common kind of thought world and belief in the way demons were described in the writings of the day. And then verse 44, he says, then it says, this demon, that's the it, this demon says, I'll return to my house from which I came. So, he's been kicked out of somehow a, a host a person and he's like i'm going to go back because that's going to be better than this you know restless waterless place this desert region so i'll return to my house from which i came and when it comes when it comes back to this person it finds it unoccupied swept and put in order now the problem seems to be that this host this house whatever house that is, right, is all put in order, but it's vacant. It's unoccupied. It's all cleaned up, right? But now, wow, there's, there's, there's nothing here. There's no one home. Hmm. So then it, the demon, uh, goes and brings along with it seven other unclean spirits, more wicked than itself, and they come and they move in and live there, And the last condition of that person becomes worse than the first. That's the way it'll be with this evil generation. That's the illustration. That's the analogy. And you get the concluding point there at the end. It's going to be like that for this generation. Now, what we need to make sure we remember is this is an illustration. It's a story. It's an analogy. Uh, We probably shouldn't take this story as like teaching actually how the demonic realm works. That's not really the point of it. It's an illustration based on current thinking, maybe even a little bit humorous. Uh, it would be fascinating if we could have been a, you know, right there among the crowd as Jesus is telling the story. Were they chuckling? Were they laughing because this was so kind of funny? We don't know. All right? But it's just a story. And it's a story illustrating the danger that that generation of Jews of Jesus' day are facing. Here's Jesus, the Messiah. He's confronting evil in every form. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's pushing back the darkness. He's expelling evil spirits among them and kicking out the evil and getting the house in order. Their, their house as the Jewish people, right? He's trying to get their house in order, but they're refusing to welcome him in. And so their house is now vacant, unoccupied. And so this isn't uh, a lesson so much on demonology, but on how Jesus is cleansing up the evil among them. And if they don't welcome him in, if they keep the house vacant, well, then greater evil will overtake them than before. And that's the point he makes at the end. So it will be with this generation that there will be greater evil than before. And then this leads into the final snapshot of this section that really wraps up the whole section by showing the kind of response that, that really matters, the kind of response to Jesus. Remember the context, Matthew 11 and 12, all these mixed reactions. Well, we're wrapping up that series of snapshots, chapter 13 will be the next major teaching block. And so as we wrap up all these different uh, mixed reaction snapshots, here we get sort of a sort of a culminating snapshot of here's the kind of response that Jesus desires here's the kind of response that really matters. And so verse 46, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and his brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And so he's speaking to the crowds. At this point, he's in a house. They're gathered around him. And his mom and his brothers come to the house and they want to talk to him. Verse 47 says, someone said to him, hey, look, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to talk to you. So, hey, Jesus, your mom and dad are here. They want to talk to you. And Before Jesus goes and talks to him, here's what he says, verse 48. But Jesus replied to the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, this isn't to run down his mom and dad. It's not to run down his family of origin. It's not to run down his brothers. It's to help. Uh, those that are listening to him teach to think more clearly about what Jesus is doing, that he he doesn't really belong necessarily to just his mother and his brothers, that his people, his household is bigger than that. So verse 49, and extending his hand towards his disciples, Jesus said, behold, my mothers and my brothers. Like his family is bigger than just his family of origin. His household is, and his kingdom is greater than just his family of origin. And he explains what he means in verse 50 when he says, For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. And so, with all the mixed responses to Jesus in chapters 11 and 12, here's the response that Jesus desires He wants somebody to gather around him. And take to heart his teaching, put it into practice, and does the will of my Father in heaven. And Jesus is the one who's bringing in the truth about what God wants. He's the one that's teaching God's will. And so to become his disciple and to learn from him and to put into practice and begin to actually do what Jesus is teaching, people who do that, they are the new family of Jesus. And so, as we wrap up this section, it reminds us really of two important things. The first is that um, if someone does not want to believe, no amount of evidence, no amount of miracles or signs or whatever other kind of evidence will ever be enough. That there is a will component to belief. And if somebody doesn't want to believe, then it doesn't matter How many times you argue with them, how many times you try to show them, how much evidence you present, they won't believe. And the second thing this little section reminds us of is the importance of actually doing God's will, doing what Jesus is teaching. It's not enough just to know it. It's not enough just to hear it. The call is to become Jesus' disciple and begin to put it into practice. And with time and practice... It'll become more second nature and we'll get better at it and we'll become the kind of people who actually embody the character of Jesus. We'll be like him in his family. We will be the new family of Jesus who does the will of Jesus' Father who's in heaven. All right, thanks for tuning in to this session on the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. The Listener's Commentary is a crowdfunded, listener-supported Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generous support of people like you. So thanks a ton for your support, and if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so by swinging over to listenerscommentary.com. You can click the give button; it'll redirect you to a page through World Family Mission, and you can put in a dollar amount, and you can give a one-time gift, or you can click the little checkbox that says "make this monthly," and you can give a monthly recurring donation right there. You can also sign up through the Study Hub and support the ministry that way as well. So thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you for it. May you continue to bear good fruit through the listener's commentary and this ministry.